bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when we come for you? Welcome to Now Playing's Bad Boys Retrospective Series. You, you, you ain't with the bad guys, boy. You with, you with the cops. This is history, bitch! Hosted by Arnie. Are you some kind of action junkie? Yeah. Is that what you want to call it? Stuart. Can you stay focused? What are you talking about? I'm focused. And Jacob. I get up early and I take it to the max every day. got something for you. Shit could get you killed. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Hey, drop the light in front of my little bonbon or I'm gonna chop your balls off. Listener discretion is advised. So I want you guys to do whatever you do, whatever it takes, but do it now. Bad Boys 2, starring Martin Lawrence, still top billed somehow, Will Smith, and Joe Pantaleono. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> what, what, you want me to put, throw in Gabrielle Union and yeah. Henry Rollins? Michael and, Shannon, yeah. <laughs> Michael Shannon. <laughs> Zod's in this. <laughs> this is Arnie, now playing co-host as well as member of the now playing tandem dance team, ready to bring the house down and shake its tail feather. Mm, getting pretty bad here, Stuart, in Springfield. <laughs> to now playing I'm Nothing But a Honeypot, this is Jacob. Yeah, I love it when you wear that thong, baby. <laughs> That's disturbing to hear. Shake your tail feather. I actually knew this <laughs> song. I get so excited about the music. I didn't remember a thing about Bad Boys 2. Had to look it up. It was the summer I was out of the country. I knew nothing that came out that summer. But I did know this song. It made it all the way to Thailand and some of the countries I was in. Well, I'd, I'd hope one of the songs would land with you. There are, like, so many music credits on this. Dr. Dre, Sean P. Diddy Come. Like, this is music video, Michael Bay. That's right. Diddy used to do music. God, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but, yeah, we got some Nelly with Shake Your Tail Feather. I love this song. I pitched doing Bad Boys because I did think that Bay deserved some sort of defense. And this was it. (laughs) I honestly thought last week we'd have at least two green arrows, maybe three. Sorry. You were going for three. Isn't The Rock the one? Like, isn't that the one that everyone thinks is the most respectable? We'll find that out someday. (laughs) Maybe with Transformers 6, I'll convince you to do Armageddon and The Rock. But what really got me excited was to know that I could get some... Nelly P. Diddy and Murphy Lee in the opening credits with Shake a Tail Feather. Love this song. I don't know why it goes into a verse about, they say he the man when I really a Thundercat. Come on, we connect like Voltron. I don't know why he went to the toy box for that verse, but I love it. Well, you are the toy guy. You know, I almost saw this movie in theaters because of a music connection. I remember seeing the trailer for before some film I was watching in movie theaters. I didn't know about Bad Boys even at this time. You know, I'd seen The Rock, maybe. I'd seen Armageddon for sure. Like, I, Michael Bay was just a name. I didn't really even know what a Michael Bay film 
film was. But I saw this trailer come up, and there was a whole lot of Henry Rollins in it. I love me some Henry Rollins. <laughs> and I think they showed every scene from this movie in that trailer that he's in. I'm like, oh, this looks like a cool action movie. Henry Rollins is in it. Will Smith is in it. Yeah, I might go see this. I never did. And so this is my first time seeing it. But I almost saw this. I was almost convinced by a trailer to see this movie. 2003. I was married by this point. A lot had changed since Bad Boys 1 released. I got to go see this opening night with Marjorie, who had never seen Bad Boys 1, but I talked that movie up so much. I'm like, you don't need to see it. It's Will Smith. It's Michael Bay. It's Martin Lawrence. We're going to have so much fun. She never went back to watch the first one because she never trusted me on that again. (laughs) Your marriage survived. Let's look at that, the positives here. But- Really, this was a comeback of sorts for a lot of things. Michael Bay, Bad Boys had launched a career. We already mentioned The Rock came out the very next year. Two years after that, Armageddon. I mean, he was spending $140 million three years away from Bad Boys. And he couldn't fit, oh, wait, Pearl Harbor bombed. (laughs) Yeah, that was a big one. I mean, that one, I mean, he was obviously lunging for the James Cameron brass ring of, if Titanic can do it, I can come home with a bunch of Oscars. I'm legit. And no one thought it was legit. The funny thing was, I think it did end up making money just because people went to it. But I have never met anyone, anyone that ever liked it. I saw it in theaters opening weekend. Hey, the guy from Armageddon's making a boat movie. Um, yeah. I was also a Ben Affleck fan at the time, so. What's really funny is Sony had made bad boys and treated Bay like shit. They wouldn't give him the money for the plane explosion, they wouldn't give him the time of day, and then it made a ton of money, and immediately they're like, Bay, come on, let's make the sequel, let's make the sequel. But he went over and worked for Disney. I mean, he worked for Touchstone and Buena Vista and Hollywood Pictures for Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, The Rock... And then after Pearl Harbor, he went back to Sony. He's like, all right, well, give me the budget I'm accustomed to. The first one, he said he had $9 million to make the film. It was a $19 million budget. This time, $130 million. So it's going to be 13 times better, right? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> I do remember there was one thing I knew about the making of this movie was that they shut down an entire freeway to do some incredible chase sequence. That there was had some car chases that were going to be unprecedented. And I guess that's where some of the money went. Although, what? Come on. A lot of it's going to go to Will Smith at this point. He's huge. If anyone's had a, a surge in their career, even more than Bay, I would say Will Smith had to be at the height. And yet second build still. Martin Lawrence has got a hell of a agent. Well, I think it might have been in the original contract. They always put in the sequel rights. I remember at the time there being some discussion and basically their dual top bill. Notice their names come up together alphabetically, same height, same font, everything like that. And Will Smith, you're right, out of everyone, he was probably part of the reason for the eight-year delay. He went Bad Boys 95, Independence Day 96, Men in Black 97, Enemy of the State, an underrated movie that I think gets overlooked in his oeuvre, 98. And then he did stumble a little bit with Wild Wild West, Bagger Vance. Oof. And Men in Black 2. I mean, it made money. I mean, unlike the other two. But yeah, he maybe needed that. He was starting to look at sequels at this point. But he had also Ali. He was training for it. He looks like he's in incredible shape in this movie. It was two years earlier. So he'd already done Ali. He'd already 
gone past the I'm your funny fresh prince and now he's I'm your serious actor Will Smith who's got muscles and going to be taken seriously and flex my muscle both behind the scenes and on camera. So I think there's some of that, but he hadn't had a huge box office hit. Men in Black 2 made money, but it was really several years since he had owned the summer. This could have seemed like a return to box office champ for him. Of course, the one with the most problems, probably Martin Lawrence. Or The year Bad Boys came out, he got in a violent rage on a film set. And then the next year, not long after Bad Boys came out, he was arrested after standing in the middle of a Ventura Boulevard with a gun. Do we ever know why that happened? That's a notorious story of him yeah, being out of his mind. Did he take ecstasy? I mean, I, it's, <laughs> are there autobiographical things in this movie referencing what happened? Because he truly became a bad boy Yeah, in those late 90s. According to what I was able to find on file, exhaustion and dehydration. Ah, yeah, the code words. That's always the excuse. <laughs> code words for drugs, yes. He was then arrested after punching a guy in a nightclub. And then, of course, the weirdest one of all happened in 99 when he went into a coma. You guys had to have heard about this. He was jogging on a 100-degree day, wearing heavy clothes and a plastic suit to lose weight for Big Mama's house. <laughs> the ironies. He wears a fat suit in it. The ironies. Okay. Yeah. He, he. I guess he wanted to have the contrast for those moments when he wasn't in the fat suit. But, oh, yeah. I do remember that. It really was dehydration. All right. Maybe I shouldn't infer anything. He almost died with a body temperature of 107 degrees. Holy Toledo. So, yes. Certainly two different trajectories of career. One really needs this. One probably needs it to restore their box office clout, but may see coming back to an earlier project like this. A movie I'm going to go ahead and say is not one of his best films. Uh, Will Smith, I think, probably did this for his accountants and not for his artistic cred. In his defense, the same year National Security came out, and that movie I don't remember being utter shit. I thought I kind of liked it. National security. He's a security guard. He winds up. Yeah, I don't even know this one. Oh, <laughs> uh, vaguely. Yeah, well, Martin Lawrence, like I said, I, yeah, he needs this. Yeah, okay. Well, so where was Tia Leona in her career? I, I guess they didn't <laughs> see her as an important factor to their success. Julie's photography job took <laughs> off. I was actually really disappointed they didn't get her back. I considered her an integral part of that first film. But around this time, she didn't have anything coming out that year, but we had reviewed her in 2001. She did Jurassic Park 3, and, you know, she was probably filming other stuff. She had a bunch of movies in 04, 05, Spanglish, Fun with Dick and Jane. You know, she was working pretty steadily. She didn't need this. And I said this last time, Bay said Bad Boys 3 is a challenge because Bay and Smith, not Lawrence, Bay and Smith cost so much money to get on a set, and... If you're going to write big checks, probably Taya Leone is not worth any clout to this franchise. I also do wonder if Will Smith wanted an African-American love interest versus a white love interest. I know that's often a, a thing for African-American actors is too often they're forced into romances with white women on screen. And I know Denzel has chafed against that many times. And so here we bring in... If you can't get Taylor Leone, of course you call Gabrielle Union. 
I don't know. Was she ever super popular? She was a name at this time. She was she was working. I'll say this much. I think that she contributes as much to this movie as Taya was allowed to in the last one. I knew Gabrielle only from Bring It On. So she was a face that when we were watching the movie, Marjorie leaned over to me and went, that's ISIS. No, not the terrorist organization. That was her character's name and bring it on. Okay. Well, yes, it sounds like there are a lot of new elements and old elements coming into play. Henry Rollins, as you pointed out, Michael Shannon, all of this. I guess they were coming under the goodwill of the super talent of Michael Bay and probably getting paid a lot of money. New screenwriters. How many this time? It looks like two credited with another writing team also probably contributing much to the story. It did seem, from what I could tell behind the scenes, that that this was a lot less improv-y. There was still some of that. Bay still encouraged the guys to riff when possible, but apparently Bay is a very off-the-cuff filmmaker. He doesn't give his team a whole lot of time to prep. No rules. No rules. <laughs> He'll storyboard to a degree, but he won't stick to it. He'll get on set and see things and be like, this is what we're filming. Sounds a lot like Lynch, which you guys both admire him's whimsical style. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, come on. Don't. I can't believe you try to draw that comparison. Sure. Yeah, they definitely sound. I I see a lot of David Lynch here in that (laughs) it's absurd. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they all came back for this blockbuster revival. It made its money back, but it does not seem to hold the affection or the long term. You got some stick up your craw about it. I know Hot Fuzz said it was the best movie of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I remembered seeing this in theaters and being pretty let down, but I hadn't seen it since theaters. I came into it ready to reevaluate, especially after revisiting Bad Boys 1 and going, "I, I like that. I came back in with that optimism I had when I entered theaters in 2003, renewed, ready to see if Bad Boys 2 was as good as I remembered. And I came into it, oh, about three hours ago. This is probably (laughs) the shortest turnaround from watching a movie and sitting in front of the mic. It's real fresh in my mind. Well, then let's get into it. Arnie, give us a plot. Miami Police Department bad boys, Marcus Burnett, played by Martin Lawrence, and Mike Lowry. I love the way Martin Lawrence said that in the last film. Lowry. Like the seasoning salt. Lowry. Played by Will Smith, are trying to catch a drug lord flooding Miami with ecstasy. Also trying to capture this guy is Marcus's sister, DEA agent Sid Burnett, played by Gabrielle Union. But the DEA doesn't trust the Miami PD, so they aren't working together. More, Sid and Mike are having a secret relationship without Marcus's knowledge. But Marcus is also keeping a secret. He can't take the frustration of working with his reckless partner, so he has applied for a transfer after the investigation. The guy they're trying to capture is a seemingly untouchable drug lord named Johnny Tapia who's smuggling drugs into the company and money out by using human corpses. In the bodies and coffins, he hides drugs and money and sends them home to his country of Cuba. The investigation into Tapia is long and drawn out and complicated by some murderous Haitian thieves who try to rob Johnny, but in the end, it's fouled up. Marcus and Mike get the drugs and $100 million of Tapia's money, but in doing so, they reveal Sid's identity as an undercover officer. Tapia takes her hostage and flees to Cuba, demanding his money in exchange for her life. The U.S. government won't negotiate with kidnappers, so Marcus and Mike 
along with some other members of the DEA, the Miami Police Department's Tactical Narcotics Team, or TNT. It's actually real. They didn't make that up for this film. The Coast Guard and even some CIA guys all break the law to go to Cuba and rescue her in a massive battle. They succeed in getting Sid, but while most of the team escapes, Marcus, Mike, and Sid end up trapped. So they steal a Hummer from Tapia's garage and race to Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> Was not expecting that. Can I just say, did not think we would go to Gitmo for a finale. In 2003, no less. Pursued by the Cuban military and Tapia himself. They make it to Gitmo and find themselves surrounded by landmines. They use one to kill Tapia and then are returned safely to the States. And Marcus says he approves of Mike and Sid's relationship and he's torn up those transfer papers as credits roll. So guys, if last week came down a red arrow from each of you, can I just recommend maybe you take off the headphones, you rub your ears, and as we go through this, you go, whoosha. <laughs> oh, I was. Trust me. Well, I could tell things were different. Uh, one thing you've got to notice right from the get-go is the money is on screen. It's clear that Bay was working in constrained ways in the first film and, yeah, probably used the $9 million he had very economically, got a lot of action for his buck. But here, it's just much more expansive. All the stuff we're seeing, what feels like kind of a riff on a, a popular movie that had come out just a year or two before, Traffic where we're actually watching ecstasy created in a lab, shipped across the waters to the Gulf of Mexico, where it's dropped off in Stiltville, just outside of Miami. Yeah, I'll say this. I, I'm watching this opening, and this feels like Michael Bay, and I don't know if admire is the right word. It's something I could see as a positive thing if he could find an artistic way to do it. This whole music video aesthetic that he does bring to his films, like I, I do feel like he gives it this kind of energy, the way you're cutting from the ecstasy lab to Miami to two hot chicks shooting Johnny's gun, and that's not a metaphor. They literally <laughs> just shoot his gun. To the Gulf of Mexico with coffins being dropped. This is just a more engaging, for this kind of film, storytelling. All these different facets you're getting into right away. I couldn't remember a whole lot about this film. When we start off with a subtitle telling us we're at an ecstasy lab in Amsterdam, I thought we were going to go international. I thought we were going James Bond. I thought we would actually go back to that ecstasy lab. We go to Cuba. Well, we do go to Cuba, but I don't understand the point of showing us the <laughs> ecstasy lab in Amsterdam. That's what I'm saying about Michael Bay. Like, there, there's some cool things there, but huh? Why would you include that if we're never going back there? Because it looks cool, I guess. Again, drug trafficking, it was a thing right now. I mean, there were a lot of movies that were greenlit. Blow, uh, Traffic, the Steven Soderbergh remake of the British TV show had shown that we had a lot of curiosity about this. I was curious. I had no idea ecstasy comes in through Miami. Does that sound right? Is that true? I mean, I literally don't know. When you talk about drugs coming into Miami, of course you think of cocaine. I think any state along a sea line or border with another country could be a state that imports drugs. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily have thought Washington State to be a big drug in until Twin Peaks taught me otherwise. But having lived in Florida, yeah, cocaine and heroin were the big two. But I think... Whatever. If it's made in a lab, though, don't you make it here? I mean, I don't think we're importing <laughs> meth. We have just trash at home making it. Yeah, and, and you know, it's they try to make it topical. Uh, Henry Rollins comes onto the screen. He's poor guy's got to stand at a dry erase board and <laughs> tell his team that this has something to do with 9-11, that they've gone high and employed lots of helicopters now. And so we're going to get what sounds like an awesome battle of foot, boat, 
plane. They're all going to go into this massive mission to stop these ecstasy pills coming into this country. They do make the Coast Guard seem super awesome in this film. (laughs) I liked the guys on the boat who apparently have a magical tarp that hides them from infrared goggles and makes them just look like water. Yeah. Well, they're waiting for a couple of UCs. I guess that means undercovers. Yep. To give them the go ahead. I admit it. I did not guess that when this Klan rally happened, <laughs> it would be the Negras busting off the cowl. And I should have. I know. This is total Michael. But like, what is the most absurd, convoluted way? Like, we can't have TNT rush in because, oh, we all have night vision goggles. And now there's a KKK rally and we're burning across. And that's we're going blind with our night vision goggles. Just take them <laughs> off, I guess. I mean, isn't that a solution? But no, now there's real danger when Mike and Marcus reveal themselves. Blue power. Because TNT can't rush in. They don't know if their UCs have exposed themselves yet. Yeah, they can't see. Even if they took off the goggles, they couldn't see you know they wouldn't necessarily know what's going on binoculars i don't know there's lots of things to figure this out like the fact that a burning cross is ruining (laughs) this huge drug bust is absurd to me the fact that it's happening during a kkk rally i don't picture clansmen taking x i mean that (laughs) seems like more of a club drug and these guys don't seem clubbing yeah no i agree i I mean this is the kind of michael bay that i just love to watch and laugh at like it's not good but like it's so absurd you can mystery science theater 3000 this thing well i think that's what we're here to do Mm. (laughs) yeah it doesn't sound like you're willing to defend this one as much but i'm going to go ahead and say i think this is a stronger reintroduction for these characters because we see their conflict that will play out throughout the entire movie in which they will more or less resolve. And that is Martin Lawrence, Marcus, he's taken captive at one point during this gun battle, and Will Smith, Mike, in the standoff, he may be brash enough to pull the trigger and endanger his partner's life. That will be the crux of what is going on with them. That and a lot of you shot me in the ass jokes. Yeah, because here we get the CGI bullet shot that I knew that Bay had too much money. If you're able to see Will Smith flying through the air with two guns, we follow one bullet like the Matrix, the CGI bullet, through three bottles, through Marcus's ass cheek, and into the neck of a Klansman. I'm like, look. Michael Bay wanted to make it super clear why Marcus can't get an erection in this film. So we needed to make sure we saw that bullet go through his ass, because apparently that affects your boner. I don't understand how an ass wound affects your boner, other than maybe psychological, maybe you're feeling like less of a man because you got shot in the ass. However, (laughs) I have to say that they're carrying over a joke from the first movie where Will Smith says... Did that shoot in the leg mean you can't get it up? Now here he's shot in the ass and Martin Lawrence can't get it up. Yeah, it's a different spin on the idea that that Marcus still can't go home and sleep with his wife. Teresa is barely in this thing, but the marital problems remain. Before, they didn't make enough time for each other. And now it's because, yeah, Marcus just can't perform in the bedroom, presumably because of the stress and wounds he received from this job. And so I think I know how this is going to go. Obviously, if he is pursuing new age therapy, he will learn that 
that, you know, Michael Bay is not going to come down on the side of, <laughs> of that, right? I mean, it's going to be for Will Smith to convince his partner that shoot first, ask questions later is the way to go. We'll see how seriously Michael Bay takes psychology when we do get the shot we get marcus he's going to therapy for anger and then mike he's going to therapy too well just to bang his shrink yes he's the irresistible ladies man and there was a cut scene that the group therapy for marcus was longer and he had a big personal reveal but it is some strife between them and i think that's where this movie is less fun i thought last time while they had a rivalry, like a sibling rivalry, they were always boys. They always had each other's backs. Here, I feel like they don't. We're going to find out later on Marcus is transferring. He's already signed the papers. This isn't just, you're rubbing me the wrong way, Mike. This is basically a divorce. And I will say, this movie, you, Teresa is barely in it. But you can't call her a bitch. She's completely supportive of her husband finding a new partner, despite the fact that all of her kids call Will Smith Uncle Mike and he's really embedded in their family. She is supportive of him making a change. Yeah. And another source of tension is the fact that Marcus suddenly has a little sister who is a crime fighter of her own. And wouldn't you know it? Will Smith got to her first. As she's working her first big case, she's going to be a money launderer plant, going to be invested in some of the plot lines we're going to get in the next two and a half hours. We're going to find out that, yeah, Martin Lawrence just can't get away from his partner. He's even banging his sister. Well, not banging yet, but it's going to go that way. Well, no, I think they did in New York. I mean, they keep bringing up New York. I, you go out with Mike, you bang. I believe them at the end of the movie when he said, and she backed him up, that out of respect for Marcus, they did not bang. They, you know, third base, but I don't think they went all the way because Mike does have Marcus's back this whole time. Really, you said that the women were bitches last time. The bitch this time kind of is Marcus because Mike, he does want to wait for the right time to tell Marcus. He's a little afraid to tell Marcus, and so he's trying to break it to his partner gently whereas marcus is ready just to tell mike go to hell i'm gonna go find a new job with a new partner i'm surprised they needed multiple writers for this because haven't we seen this isn't this lethal weapon three or four the one with chris rock when he's dating danny glover's daughter and everyone knows and that would be four and you need four writers to try to make that good it didn't work the first time well that's my point it's not working this time either. I like the fact that there's actual stakes here. That actually, yeah, there's confrontation. This is where partners should be in this kind of movie. There should be a wedge between them that they work through. Last movie, there was none. It was frustrating to me that it was just basically just them chiding each other with no real sense of, of wanting to further their relationship in a, in a single direction. Here, they've got something to work out. I will give the film credit for that. It's gone from a sitcom plot to a movie plot that I've already seen before. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. They are going for some kind of actually dramatic tension between the characters, a problem that they have to work through during the film. I just think that they work better when riffing off each other and being a bit more comedic and being a bit more improvisational. You don't feel like they're doing that again here? I, I feel like they're trying to do all those same kind of jokes. I feel like they're sort of trying, but I feel like it's missing for a good portion of the movie. But it's here at the beginning with the Klansman rally where they're making all the obvious jokes. And yes, Marcus gets shot in the ass. How embarrassing is that? And 
The funniest moment for me is when after this, they're at Marcus's house. This is where Sid shows up and we do see Teresa and we do see Marcus's two kids again. And they're making fun of his above ground pool. I had to laugh when he goes, that pool costs $3,900. How much did the good pools cost? That I laughed out loud at. <laughs> I got to ask you, Arnie, because you lived in Florida. They try to make Mike to be the trust fund kid. But Marcus, they're living like right on the ocean or whatever, the river, whatever you have down in Florida that's right in your backyard. That's got to cost some money. All right. I actually was paying way too much attention to that because I did live in Florida. I believe they have a river house that would cost around $2 million. He's not living in that same place he was living last time when Mike was climbing out of his window. He's got a really super nice house. He's got a river view. It might be a canal. I tried to look. Canals are a lot cheaper, but it looked like a river view. And my God, that is an expensive house. The difference between these two guys now is what kind of cars they can afford to drive. And I think that's about it. Yeah, and again, I'm used to that. In these kinds of movies, typically policemen, librarians have nice penthouses in New York. I mean, because they want to show off luxury items, you just usually accept that everyone is living well above their means in this kind of movie. Certainly not a problem. Certainly not funny when the dog is tearing up the pool, but I know this is Michael Bay, and he can't let a scene go without some kind of punctuation of either violence or humor, or both, if he can get it in. Yeah, when the pool collapses and knocks Martin Lawrence into the river, I laughed pretty hard, too. I'll admit, I'm getting more guffaws out of the start of this film. I'm not so much grooving with Sid and Mike. I don't think they have any on-screen chemistry. At no point do I believe either one of them would even, like, have lunch with the other after they say cut. There's nothing on screen that gives them heat. And I would say that was also true of Taya Leone. In fact, they didn't even play it that way. I think she was grieving her lost girlfriend. But here, I, I just feel like, yeah, women are props in this. And, and here, it's she's just a, a source of tension between these two men. It's because Marcus doesn't want his little sister to get hurt. And she's putting herself in harm's way by selling herself as a money launderer. Yeah, she. I mean, she lies to Marcus. She says she just works a desk job for the DEA. But when she shows up laundering money, I, I did for a second. I'm like, oh, is she actually the bad guy? Is that going to be some tension here? But no, she's just undercover. I actually did think they were going there for half the movie. I'm like, oh, that'll be the twist. This movie's really long. They're going to have to do something to surprise <laughs> us. And it was a surprise to find out that, no, she's just going to... How could I not see she was going to end up in a bikini and kidnapped? But I didn't. <laughs> but I thought it was a step forward for there to be a female law enforcement you complained about how last time the internal affairs agent was such a bitch here we have gabrielle union as basically the point person for the dea on a major sting operation they're also after this ecstasy dealer and they know that the miami pd has leaks so they're not going to work with the pd so to see her as a very effective law enforcement agent for half the movie or maybe three quarters of the movie before she just becomes a captive, I thought was good for Bay. Sure. For Bay standards, it's she is fairly empowering. And again, I think Gabrielle Union is about as likable as Taya Leone. Maybe she doesn't get as many jokes in here, but she has a pleasant demeanor. And I certainly don't mind when she's on screen here. Again, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop for a lot of it. 
Instead, I watch Haitians drop. And what's actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it, a really cool action scene. I finally get why people like Michael Bay action when we have this scene in the parking lot. Yeah, I mean, let's set this up. Gabrielle Union, she's posed as this money launderer, working not for our bad guy, Johnny Tapia, but for this Russian Alexei, because... Johnny gets the ecstasy into the country where he gives it to Alexi, who owns a bunch of rave clubs and is played by Peter Stormare from Armageddon. Every time I see this guy, I will never not see him and not think, this is how you fix a Russian space station. He's always playing a Russian. And if you are on Twitter, check out his Twitter feed. He is a gem on Twitter. Really? I will follow him. <laughs> it's so bizarre. I, he has lots of roles. I'd like to say that Fargo was probably his claim to fame before Armageddon. Yes, I agree. He was good in Fargo, but I will never see him and not think a Russian space station. And yes, here he's as a Russian again. And so he brings in Sid to take $3 million in tens that he got from these kids at the club and turn it into $100 bills. But now, randomly, there's some Haitians. Now, of course, because of the TNT thing, we know Mike and Marcus are supposed to find this big ecstasy dealer. And they have this contact ice pick. He's their informant this time who told them about this big raid. And it turned out to be the clan thing. And they were just getting two bags for personal use. So ice pick gives them another tip that has nothing to do with ecstasy at all. This is just coincidence that it is involving the ecstasy ring. This is bad writing that ice pick is now going these Haitian pirates. They'll steal anything worth stealing. They're mobilizing to go steal stuff. We don't know what they're stealing, but Mike, Marcus, you wanted a tip. Here's your tip. Go follow the Haitian. Well, the Haitians are robbing the money from the ecstasy. That's convenient. Oh, no, you don't get to do this. You don't get to put me through that movie last week and say, oh, it doesn't matter, silly plot twist at all. And then, like, I'm indignant about these ridiculous and unset up turns of events. Come on, Arnie. Why aren't you having fun? This is better action and more stakes. I like the action in this scene better. I don't feel the stakes and I'm not feeling the chemistry already. I feel like something's off between these two actors. Like they're just not having as much fun as they were last time. And therefore I'm not feeling the fun. And I would say what I am sensing finally is that Mike is dangerous, that he is erratic, that he is trigger happy. And they're selling something that they had at the climax of the last movie. I didn't believe they're finally making Will Smith look like, yeah, he is a bad boy, not in a colloquial bad boy, but like a bad cop, a dirty bad cop. Yeah, th there's a part where, you know, the car's spinning and he's like, shoot at them. Now show them your badges after you shoot them. And like, I don't know, maybe post Ferguson. I'm just like, Ugh, I, you know, the, the super violent cops. I don't know if we're supposed to go with this. Like, yeah, this is cool. Or if that's supposed to be a warning sign, oh, Mike really does need to stop banging his therapist and do some actual therapy. I'll admit, the very first time I watched this in theaters, I had a huge problem with the ethics of this movie. Yeah. The amount of stuff they do without a warrant, the fact that they go to Cuba, a lot of this really irked me. Now, this was 2003. We're less than two years away from 9-11. A lot of this kind of national security, police enforcement stuff was very much on my mind. We were not all that far away from the yeah, midterm election of Bush Jr. So I rankled 
a lot at this movie's politics in 2003. And this time, I was able to say, hey, it's a movie. If this were real life, I'd have a big problem. But it's a movie. There's one thing that really does bug me. We'll talk about a little bit later. But for now, I'm able to put the politics aside. But yes, this action scene that starts on the garage and ends at Children of the Corn 9 is an incredible action scene. This is the climax of 90% of action films, and it's the start of Act 2 here. 30 minutes in, you get a bigger action scene than most movies can afford. Yeah, agreed. You got a rig throwing cars as it's described at them. You got boats taking out cars. You know, Sid's driving around with no door on her thing getting shot out. This is good stuff. I'm a little worried when Mike takes his Porsche and does like a 360 while firing an automatic machine gun randomly at a crowd of crashed cars. I'm like, there's civilians in there, but he doesn't hit any, so it's okay. Yeah, this is the best scene of either Bad Boys movie right here. This is, for me, if the movie stopped now, recommend. I like this action. I wish the Haitians were part of the plot. I wish we're going to have more Haitian action. I mean, come on. They are part of the plot for some reason. Yeah, I wish they were a well-integrated part of the plot. I wish that Mike knew somehow, Ice Pick knew, that this was related to the same case they were investigating before. Oh, Okay, I'll, I'll roll out on that one because it is a really spectacular action scene. Now, we reviewed Children of the Corn Genesis a few years back and discussed this car scene. I had to check. I went back and I rewatched Children of the Corn Genesis, something I swore I'd never do. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched the car crash at the end because I'd heard, is it Bad Boys 2 footage? And after watching Bad Boys 2, I went, no fucking way did they use this because there is no scene in children of the corn 2 cut as fast as everything here we don't spend enough time to look at this car carrier to pay any attention plus this is on a bridge the other one was in the midwest and i even went back and i'm like there's no way it's the same the car carrier in children of the corn 9 is blue this one is red in this one they're driving a porsche i'm like there's no way a porsche would fit in that movie that scene doesn't fit in that movie <laughs> there's no way that's original footage i do think what they had was all of the b-roll or all of the stunt footage shot here and were able to re-edit it and when i rewatched children of the corn genesis you even see the same cars fly off that car carrier a couple of times like it happened multiple times but for that scene michael bay put cameras in cars and told the stunt drivers to actually intentionally hit the cars falling off the carrier and you do see one of those shots and strangely when the cars start flying even though they were driving through a field a moment ago they're suddenly on this bridge with no greenery on either side in children of the corn so while they didn't take like a bad boys 2 final edit and grab stuff I think they had access to the vault of all the unused footage, and yeah, that's Bad Boys 2 there. Mm, yeah, I remember it being a surprisingly competent scene in that Children of Corns movie. It stands out because it doesn't fit there, and it stands out because it's really better movie making than any of the rest of the quality of that film, but it's impressive here too. I Again, I'm going to state, sometimes Bayesianess is exactly what you want. What you don't want, or at least what I don't want is the villain they've chosen to have for this movie. Now, I didn't like the French guy last time. Maybe they're not trading down by having this 
Al Pacino Scarface ripoff. But boy, if you're going to remake Scarface, you better bring more than what the rest of this movie has. I think it's supposed to be a joke because he has so much money, the rats are eating it. And like, that's his whole motivation to try to move this money and get the money laundering, get it back to Cuba, because just rats everywhere. I do love his line where he's like, this is a stupid fucking problem to have, but it's a problem nonetheless. Like, the screenwriters realize how ridiculous it is to have rats eating piles of money, but yet shit happens sometimes. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with this as a setup, that they would need exterminators. As Again, I'm seeing some local color here. I didn't get that in the last movie. It felt like a Coke commercial set in Miami. And here, with the Haitians, with, yeah, this old house that would be cool, except it's full of rats, I'm seeing more details that I like. I'm just saying the character is, you know, once we see him cutting up bodies and, you know, he doesn't say my little friend, but it just feels like Dime Store Pacino. My problem is... And this is all Bay. Like, wouldn't it be funny? Like, let's make fun of a fat girl. No, oh, that's awful. And so he, his daughter comes. I, this, there's just that cruelness to Bay that I feel. Again, uh, it, it is upsetting. It's she's in there to for a joke about fat kids. I legitimately thought what we were seeing was a father's defense of his daughter. One guy who's going to make a fat joke or at least chuckle when the fat girl says that somebody said she looked like a model, he's going to get shot in the head for his cruelty. So I don't take that as bad as you guys do. If it was Will Smith or Martin Lawrence doing it, I would be a lot more in sense. But this guy is portrayed to be the dumbest and meanest of the bad guys, which is why he's going to get shot in the head by his boss. He doesn't even survive till the finale. Yeah, it's not just that someone makes a joke. It feels like Bay put this character, this kid in there, just because that is the joke. I mean, they'll, they'll go back to her again and again in this film. But they don't go to her for her weight. The thing is that this Johnny Tapia is a family man, despite being this massive ecstasy runner, which... Maybe it's just me. I don't seem to put ecstasy on the same level as like cocaine or something. I don't know. I'm sure it's an evil drug. I've never taken it. But I just seem to think that ecstasy guys aren't as mean. But he has a mother, he has a daughter, and he's going to be very protective of both of them despite being a murderous drug lord. And that's the joke. Uh, He seems to be annoyed with his mom. That's her house where the rats are eating everything. He wants a modern place. Maybe it's the way the actor's playing it. It's hard to read. I definitely feel like Bay is fat shaming this little girl for a laugh. But then, yeah, maybe he's trying to eat the cake and have it too by later saying, isn't it horrible that this guy would joke about that? But I think it's a way, I think he's using the daughter as a way of making this drug kingpin look absurd. Johnny is someone that wants the best of everything, but look at his daughter. I didn't take it that way. I think he's very proud of his daughter. And so I took it as trying to humanize this otherwise stock bad guy. This is the only thing we have that makes him more fleshed out than Fouché last time. Yeah, I guess. And that and the fact that he's dealing with the Russians. Didn't know this movie would be so topical, but the Russians are in Florida and they own all the nightclubs. So what we see, if you want to know why ecstasy is so cruel, Peter Stormare does have a scene where he watches somebody OD and just throws that guy out in the rain, doesn't care that the people partying could die from his wares. Well, the kid OD'd, yeah. I gotta say this camera, if I said it didn't stop moving last time, when we go through that dance club going from a helicopter 
right after Marcus is shot in the ass. So they're in the helicopter down an air vent into the dance club underneath some hottie skirts up through the glass ceiling where Alexi is counting his money and his pills and then back down to the OD. Admittedly, it's a very impressive shot. I think it's kind of ripping off Fight Club a little bit that came out a few years earlier with some of these shots, but it's grandiose. Yeah. I mean, again, isn't that what you want with Bay? Would anyone want to see a restrained chamber piece from the man? I think that if you're going to <laughs> unleash him, then this is the kind of stuff that he should do. Give him more money. As long as it's not my money, I want to see that. It seems to me strange places to use it. Let's have the air duct of the dance club scene instead of doing it during an action scene. It makes even talk scenes feel like action scenes. I think that's what he does. Again, I think he hates the idea of filming a scene where two characters are just talking because all that's really happening is this Russian is on the phone with his drug supplier and all of this will lead up to a confrontation in the rat-filled house where, yeah, his partner is cut up and brought to him in a tortilla bin and he's got to sell off all his nightclubs. It's a setup really for Peter Stormare to die in the climax. I'm not really sure... If this movie is too long, and I think we'll all agree it is, yes, then yes. this is something that probably should have been entirely swiped from the film. Yeah, as much as I like Peter Stormare, I don't get why he's in this film any further. Like, the whole avenging thing, it, it doesn't need to be there. Well, it wasn't. Uh, Peter Stormare pointed out to Michael Bay, hey, do you know my character, despite throwing a kid out after he ODs, I just disappear halfway through the movie. I sign over the clubs that I've never seen again. And so Bay got together with the writers and like, how can we kill this guy? Because he deserves to die on screen. So that's oh. why he comes back at the end. Okay, interesting. But yeah, it's going to take a long, long time, long time to get to the climax of this film where he does pop back up. The point is we're supposed to hate this Cuban for amassing wealth in the way that he is, for dealing the pills that he does, for crapping on his henchmen. It's not personal yet i mean there's nothing between the differences fouché last time pissed off our narcs because he targeted the wrong hooker and here <laughs> i think it's more character driven will smith is just an ass he acts and abuses his power because of his nihilistic bloodthirst it may be less fun arnie but i think it's more impacting yeah, we're going to get quite a few scenes of this investigation, too. It's just as convoluted as last time, where they go back to Ice Pick. They find out where the Haitians are. There's a big shootout there with the Haitians. But talking about Bay's style, I mean, the way that camera circles around, you might get dizzy. It might make you sick, but... Oh, I did. I was watching this in the home theater. It was taking up my whole peripheral view. That thing went around and around. It was like the freaking teacup ride at Disneyland. I mean, there's moves here that, like, they're really callous. I mean, I think the camera moves creates the impression that this is fun, but, like, when he puts the gun through the hole, the bullet hole in the wall and shoots the guy through the eye, I mean, Will Smith is really testing his charisma and his goodwill with the audience. Again, Michael Bay, he's like a Sith Lord. Like, he does have <laughs> good movie-making skills, but he just does disgusting things with them. Again, with... Will Smith's character here, Mike, yeah, he is so bloodthirsty, especially when he's going after these Haitians and just shooting them up. Like, 
this isn't a cop. This is John McClane on ecstasy, just going crazy, shooting everyone up. And this is where I had a big problem last time. Where is that Will Smith smile? Where is the jokiness? Where's the charisma? Where is my Agent J? Where is my Independence Day pilot Steve? Where is Mike Lowry from that first film? I'm seeing here, the first time I saw the movie, just this bloodthirsty killer who's not having any fun and who I think he still thinks he's trying to carry the dramatic weight of Ali and not have a bad boys film. This time, I'm able to appreciate what Bay is doing, but I think Will Smith has the tone of his character wrong here. If the expectation is we're always to be on his side, and it sounds like you were last time, then yeah, you're really going to be challenged, I think, by him in this film. For me, I now finally have something about him that's interesting. And the fact that there is this evil streak in him. I like that the racial politics are such as they are. If he was the white cop killing a bunch of Haitians, you might be inclined to call this racism. But really, this is just about police brutality. It's black on black, but it is about... Does the police officer have the right to do this to citizens when they could just be as easily be arrested? That he would kill without handcuffing is, I think, a very interesting debate. I think if he handcuffed then killed, it would be much worse. But these Haitians are not giving up. At one point, Mike does give Marcus the chance to talk them down. And he puts his guns down for a second. And Marcus is like, we're not INS. And they just keep shooting. I mean, this is self-defense and i can't help but look at some of the politics of the filmmaker and i think part of the reason i had a real problem in 2003 we're supposed to be 100 percent on mike's side we're supposed to see every kill as a righteous kill and applaud with him and not be so challenged is how i took it then now i still think everything he does is in the right we live in an age where every bit of police brutality is recorded on so many cell phones and reviewed to the nth degree i think if all of this was on a cell phone he'd still keep his badge well that that's a damning indictment of american law enforcement I, I the thing is at one point he does go too far he shoots the last guy and marcus says dead suspects can't say shit he just killed the last guy that could tell him something i guess luckily there's a video camera so we'll get some hijinks with that later on no 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 he doesn't kill the last guy the last guys who gives them the video camera he kills enough i mean i think the point is still valid and <laughs> yeah what i would say is this at this point in the movie i feel like it is a moral challenge to the audience to say ha 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 you think you can just treat all of this nihilistic violence as a summer movie romp we got to really think about this and two problems. One, I don't buy Martin Lawrence as the paragon of middle-class ethics. He doesn't <laughs> sell to me that he would be so incensed by this that he would legitimately leave his childhood friend and transfer to another department. If he was a better actor, this conflict would be more intense. And of course, you're right. At the end of the day, Michael Bay is not really considering the idea that New Age therapy and introspection, intellectualism, none of that. Yes, cold-blooded vindictiveness is what he's going to come down on the side of. This close after 9-11, many people agreed with him. Yeah, I mean, we're going to go from what could have been a serious moment between the two to more gay panic jokes. Yeah, this stuff is another scene to just cut. Although, I guess, Arnie, this is the stuff that you love. This is the old stuff. This is not working, this movie. It worked the last film. But here, 
when you are cutting to all these reaction shots of the two queens and the fat black lady and the kid with the bad teeth during this whole conversation. And I'm just not finding the material to be as funny, perhaps because writers are doing it and it's not being come up with off the cuff. It's not the director and two stars pushing themselves what's funniest. It's a script that was written for these guys. And so all this stuff about the other night when you got me from behind all of this stuff that just could be taken the wrong way is it's not funny to me. And it's also the fact that Mike just keeps wanting to shut down Marcus and Marcus is oversharing. Neither one of these feel like the same character from last time. Their chemistry is off and I can't help but project. Is it because now there's strife between the stars? When they were up and coming and neither one of them were movie stars in 95, were they able to pal around on the set and keep that chemistry going when the cameras rolled? And now you've got two super egos wondering who's top build and you're just not getting that camaraderie. I think you're right. They are not having as much fun together, even in these moments that are meant to clearly recall the fun old times. I see this, again, as success because I want this series to be about more than jokes from comedians I don't like. But yeah, I think you're right. I, I also think there needs to be moments. What really becomes hard in this movie is when they are supposed to lapse and you realize that they have an old friendship. Those moments don't ring true. Later, they're going to harass Marcus's daughter's boyfriend showing up on the door. Another pointless scene that should have been cut. But again, shows that they can be fun together, I guess. I think that was supposed to be, it was after Marcus had said, I'm transferring. You know, they were about to break up. But to show these two guys are good together. They do play well off each other and support each other in doing this to protect Marcus's daughter on one of her first dates to show that they care about each other in that way. But it isn't funny. It isn't engrossing. Last movie, I was able to go with Michael Bay, Martin Lawrence, and Will Smith's jazz riffs because it was entertaining, because it did have that energy. And this time... The only time I'm really smiling is when they keep bringing up the opening riff to shake your tail feather to accentuate. They do that like six times in this movie, <laughs> and that's the only time I really smile. Yeah, they overplay that song. Yeah, I think the biggest improv scene is that when the boyfriend shows up to pick up the daughter for the date, uh, it's it's bad. That, that's supposed to be a character moment where you see them coming back together, because to me, again, it's just the use of the N-word and what they're doing, playing up to these racial stereotypes, torturing this young kid for no reason. I just find it disgusting. <laughs> I don't find it disgusting. And they actually tortured the actor in real life, too. Like, in order to get a reaction out of this non-actor 15-year-old, Bay instructed Smith and Lawrence to not talk to the kid. Lawrence had his, like, seven-foot-two huge bodyguard tell the kid, never look at Mr. Lawrence when he's not acting. And don't look him in the eye. Like, just scared the shit out of this kid to get a real reaction from that scene. Eh, okay. Well, <laughs> anyway, I'm looking for the detective work, and that certainly hasn't gotten better with this movie. <laughs> they bring back Fletcher to do the actual work, because, hey, somebody's got to figure out what all this evidence means. At the beginning of this, he's going to be the one to tap phones and get the boys. Illegally. Yes, yeah, exactly. We're comfortable with this in 2003. Again, I give it three years, and I, I think this movie really would have a hard time finding a large audience. But in this moment... This seems like the right thing to do, and so it allows our colorful heroes to dress up like exterminators and come into the rat-filled house and find evidence and have some slapstick. 
How much do you think they pay for the special effects for those fucking rats? And by I mean rats that are fucking. Of all the humor in this movie, the closest either of these actors came to giving me a laugh is when Martin Lawrence goes, they fuck just like we do. He's pile driving her. And then you see the puppet rats. There's something about that. It's base. It's toilet humor. I normally don't go for that. But there's something so absurd about rats in the missionary position. And the fact that Martin Lawrence is always reluctant to do things. In the first movie, we saw he was squeamish around dead bodies. This movie, he's going to be squeamish around the rats. He's going to be squeamish around the corpses. He's squeamish everywhere. Well, Mike leaves him there to it, goes around, steals some shredded paper. I'm like, these guys are really brazen. He's using spray to cover security cameras and unplugging them and not picking up his tool belt after himself. And they're completely illegally bugging this house. But this is the scene where Alexi's partner also gets chopped up. And Mike and Marcus are discovered. They have to race the hell out of there. And this is what gets Roberto shot in the head. Not making fun of the fat daughter, but letting these guys in. Sadly, I don't think the rat problem is ever solved. (laughs) No, that's why he's got to get to Cuba. There are no rats there, apparently. Free healthcare and no rats. Well... Once Alexi's out of it, the movie is so long. We're only like an hour 15 into it. But now with Alexi gone, we're going to see Johnny approach Sid directly to do the money laundering for him and maybe some other dirty things because he gets her in a bikini, gets her in the ocean just in case she's wearing a wire. And now we get into this long stretch of what the hell, where Mike and Marcus are shut out of the case, even though they helped rescue Sid from the Haitians and so they decide their best lead is to get that KKK guy out of prison the movie has been so long they have to show us a flashback to the KKK (laughs) rally because we may not remember him well Michael Shannon wasn't a star yet he didn't have an Oscar nomination to his name so I think it might have just been helpful to to, make that connect he was cut so quickly in the beginning of the movie you may not have realized I didn't realize he had been left alive But he's here in prison. He's going to help them identify how the drugs are transferred. The Dixie 7 is the boat. Because they shredded a photo of a boat. I don't know why they took the photo of the boat, and then I don't know why they shredded it. But fortunately, that hacker is there to put it back together in the computer. And so this Klansman, with a gun to his head and shoved in the trunk, can you say police brutality, is going to lead them there. And it's also on this stakeout that Sid's going to be like, oh, and by the way, Marcus, I'm dating Mike. Perfect timing, Sid. Car chases. Gotta have them. During this one, we get a Michael Bay cameo. His car's too junky to steal. I guess I get the joke now because he had the nice Porsche that they used in the last one. Okay. And Dan Marino was available for a half day of shooting, I guess. He's friends with Bay and he played for Miami. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, again, I think that this movie is wise when to stick with the action. I think the movie is bold by asking the question if the action is morally acceptable. But uh, I am getting tired. At this point, this movie is really wearing out its welcome. 
and the leads really aren't working out their problems to the point that I understand why they come together for the climax. Hey, I will say, after this car chase, there's like bodies littered all over. I finally got a chuckle moment out of this franchise. When Captain Howard, Joe Pantaleone, does that great little monologue, you know, I got to get the detective guys coming out and do their detecting shit. Then I got to get the forensic guys out to put the bodies back in. Like, I did like, like, he's been yelling a lot in this film. I feel like there he really honed in and, and got it right. I liked some of his lines there. I liked how what they're chasing is a refrigerated truck with bodies. And much like the car carrier earlier, I feel like they play that beat too much. Whatever we're carrying, we're going to drop. So they're dropping freezing bodies this time. And one of them, Mike drives over and its head pops off like an action figure. That was way too clean a pop. During this scene, there's something. I watched this scene twice. I don't understand. A bunch of cops run into an office and scream, undercover cops, clear out. But then... I think they're shooting at Marcus and Mike. Yeah, they confused me too. I had to rewind it. I think they're gangsters and they said that to clear everyone out so they could start shooting or something. I was guessing because a couple of them are morbidly obese. And I was like, that doesn't seem like any of the cops we've seen in this movie before. But yet they have badges around their neck. Maybe it's from last time. Maybe they got them from the mother bitches guy selling them for 99 cents a piece. But I was very confused. Because they called for backup, unlike their usual M.O., and then I thought backup was coming, and they were getting a vantage point to protect Mike and Marcus, and then I thought they were shooting at Mike and Marcus, and then they just disappeared, and we never see them again. This confused the shit out of me. Yeah, I definitely was feeling busyness starting to take over the whole production here, and I mean, again, this is the moment where we need to wrap it up preferably quickly and we need to understand that yeah i mean i was hoping they would find a middle ground that they would agree that mike had gone too far in one direction that marcus maybe was a little bit too new agey we all knew that but they put it all behind them because of a high school yearbook photo yeah because mike was a nerd well they don't put it behind them at this point what marcus said is once this case is done then we're done and so that is the case up until the end credits. This is their last case together. But they want to catch this guy. Sid, at this point, still hasn't been kidnapped, if you go back to my plot summary. And so next, they have to go into a funeral home. I do feel this movie needs to be a half an hour shorter. We should be getting to the climax of the film. We're not. We are going to extend things longer. This, though, kind of pissed me off in real life you weren't cracking up at all the jokes inside the funeral home as they dig through bodies uh, that's not where i'm going they go and ask their captain can we get a warrant because what we haven't mentioned is johnny tapia is untouchable cops have tried to get him many times he's won nine million dollars in damages for harassment from the police so they can't touch him they gotta have the evidence they go to a judge, despite their captain saying not to, and Mike comes in and says, we got a sneak and peek warrant. We can't let them know we're there, but if we come back with the photos, then we'll get a righteous warrant. I'm like, that's some bullshit right there. That doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, it does. It does? It really exists. That's got to be a Patriot Act thing, huh? It is part of the Patriot Act. 
Wow. That you can have a sneak and peek warrant where you can go in and you can gather evidence and not let the person ever know you were in their residence. So that kind of worried me that this thing that I thought was such a bullshit line for a movie that they'd have a sneak and peek warrant. No, that is true. So they get in there. They find it in the bodies. There's a very uncomfortable dead woman with giant big breasts. Which, because this is a Michael Bay film, I guess, that automatically makes her a bimbo. She's dead. We don't know anything (laughs) about this woman except the size of her breast, and she gets called a bimbo the whole time. By the bad guys. Arnie, you can try, but again, I feel like this is speaking to the mentality on the set here. I also think it's very telling that Mike is, because he's seen some learning channel, he's very comfortable ripping up these bodies, tearing them out, and wondering why his partner is such a wuss for having compassion for these people. It's it's telling of character. Having gone to a morgue for our reanimator review, I can find the middle ground. I think that in the end, you kind of have to do these things. I've met a pathologist who has to vivisect corpses and you do have to get to that but you don't have to vomit necessarily i'm in the middle ground i think one was overly sensitive and the other overly callous yeah now again i think it's character revealing and i think yeah it will challenge you i mean i think much of the audience is expected to think this was gross the fact that their funny man will smith is completely okay with all of this behavior Again, I like all of the way that they play with him because it is so subversive until the end where he's completely justified. (laughs) What I'm not okay with, because I agree, like at least they're trying to do something with his character. What I can't abide is the haphazard way that Marcus, Martin Lawrence, (laughs) accidentally takes some ecstasy. Oh, talk about the baziness and the contrivances. (laughs) And the CGI pills just like that cgi bullet okay too much money now now i agree with you too much money (laughs) yeah the way he tosses marcus a bag two pills fly out of the bag happen to land in a cup i drink a cup of water i'm gonna know if there's something solid in there (laughs) it makes you wonder if he really did want to drink the pills again was this inserted because martin lawrence Wanted to talk about something, again, past problems, ills, a confession of some sorts. Is this his improvisation? All I know is I thought this one would be funnier. I thought they would go somewhere else with it. It goes to a very obvious place of act right in front of the police captain who will actually figure it out and it will not even be a big deal. Two things happens. First of all, the police captain's actually very worried about Marcus because he could overdose. And second of all, this is the end of Marcus's impotency. He's like, I have an erection. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. So really, from now on, he's he's a customer? <laughs> he's going to keep buying? <laughs> the Viagra didn't work. He said he was popping them like Skittles. I guess that must be Martin Lawrence's favorite candy. But here, I just thought that it took care of it. But he's like, take me home to my wife. But they immediately go to bust Johnny. So I'm like... For half the finale, I'm like, is Marcus still on X during this? (laughs) Yeah, all this TNT's back, and they're going to hit three places at once. This feels like it's the climax, that it's wrapping up. You know, it doesn't matter what TNT's doing. We're only going to follow Marcus and Mike as they try to save Sid from Johnny. Yeah, no one's going to upstage the stars here. But yeah, there's still 40 minutes to go, and that is a powerful thought when the other movie was 
really wrapping it up at this point. This one is still chugging right along to that climax that we were talking about, where Alexi is going to show up at the house drunk, wanting revenge, wanting to kill our villain. We know he's not going to get it. And in fact, he's killed by the feds, right? Yeah, he points a gun towards them. He's drunk. And so he's not thinking. He's like, I'm on your side. Let's all go kill Johnny together. But he points the guns in the Fed's direction, so they take him out. But because of the raid, Johnny somehow instantly knows Sid is DEA, even though she did nothing to reveal herself. The fact that there is a bust is all he needs. Okay. Yeah, I was missing that. When did she mess up? When did she reveal who she was? She didn't. No, it's that they started attacking and then he just put a gun to her head and said you know call for help and because she could they tried to rescue her at that point but she's his leverage so he's able to get out of there they get the drugs they get the money but he gets sid and gets out to cuba shit just got real i now (laughs) get hot fuzz like this these were scenes from that movie that like out of context, I, I don't get it, but now I really understand why Frost was, uh, his character, so was in love with this idea of a cop. It is really funny. You know it got real because they do that same shot that start rotating the camera around the two characters. Mm. Needless spinning in this movie. And I guess that's a Bay signature, right? He does it in the Transformers for sure. It's dramatic. It has weight. And if you're not doing a Michael Bay retrospective where you're seeing it shot after shot after shot then it works a little bit better. Now, I assume that Sanchez and Ruiz was back. That's who I wrote in my notes. That's not them? No, it's completely different Latin cops who happen to have a cousin in Cuba, Tito, that can help out. Yeah, very convenient. Yeah, we got a cousin who's a revolutionary. He's got tunnels. <laughs> what are these guys' names then? I thought it was them too. No. I thought it was the same guys. Yeah, no, it's a shocker, but these guys are Vargas and Reyes. Oh. I just thought it was the same guy. <laughs> Again, why change it? I guess they couldn't get the other actors back. They're hanging out with Tia Leone, being glad they're not in another Michael Bay production. But yeah, they have contacts in Cuba. And keep in mind, at this point, Marcus is still planning, although I don't think it's foremost on his mind. He's only worried about his sister. He has not decided to stay with Mike yet. But that Mike is his boy. Mike is not going to let him down. He and Mike are going to go to Cuba. And by the way, some crazy DEA agents are going to show up and be like, take us along. They all look like stuntmen. Yeah, the CIA goes along. This is Bay of Pigs all over again. All of these guys look like stuntmen. I I wrote in my notes, just a bunch of stuntmen show up. I don't even know where they're from, but they say they're going to Cuba too. And yet I do feel like this is Bay's idea of like real men know when not to follow the law. Like this is what he supports. The idea that, yeah, we'll be good soldiers when we have to. But when a woman has been taken hostage, we'll completely leave our posts and cross country lines and do things that we never should be doing according to international treaties and laws. You say that's real men. I view it as a little bit of American imperialism because it's American might coming from all of our various law enforcement Mm. divisions teaming up to invade a country. No, I think it's the same thing for Bay. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's all testosterone. Yeah, I, I guess I should have seen that this would all end up in Gitmo, but yeah, it was. How could you? I, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It, it, on one hand, how would they have the gall? It was so fresh. It was so new. It had recently been repurposed as a prisoner's, yeah, rendition, all of that. So yeah, they're actually making a political statement here at the end of the movie. Who knew? And on one hand, very brave. I wouldn't have expected it after the first film. Brave. Lazy, I mean, offensive. Yeah, not really. I think this was before a lot of the backlash and the photos and the broomsticks all came out. Well, yeah, before we knew how bad it was, sure. But certainly watching it through the eyes and the lens of 2017, this is, yeah, really pretty gross. I don't know. It's not just that. It's the fact, you know, they're going to release like iguanas and cats to set off the motion alarms and there's going to be shooting. But then they start driving through like a whole village just destroying, blowing up this whole. <laughs> but they're like, no, no, these are just the coke shacks. This is just what the peasants do here is just make coke all day. So it's okay for you to kill them all. I didn't know if it was excusing the destruction of this shanty town or if it was the reason why these little cardboard huts explode when you drive through them i took it that was the reason they exploded because they all had drug labs in them yeah so it is kind of amusing now this raid is very confusing because yes somehow that tito gets his contacts to tunnel underground to escape tunnels that already exist. They dig new dirt tunnels into escape tunnels so they can infiltrate this new modern house. No rats in this one for Johnny. I do like the moment, like, he gets really depressed looking at Jesus' Last Supper. He's painted himself into it and doesn't even know the story. Well, it's something. It goes to show Michael Bay is not going to make religious allegory out of any of his films. And there's a lot of action here, but truthfully, I'm numb. I'm adrenaline out. This is reminding me a lot of the ending of Beverly Hills Cop writ even larger instead of three cops going into a giant mansion to save a girl. It's an entire squad of faceless goons plus two cops going in to save a girl and so much explosions. But I will give them this. I wouldn't have known if I hadn't watched the bonus features. That was a real house. Somebody bought it for the land and then took out an ad. Hollywood. I'd like you to demolish my house. If anybody is interested, I won't charge you. And so Bay's location scouts called him up and said, this could look like Cuba. And this is a real house that they really blow the shit out of. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I mean, this movie really, it has, it's completely lost it. I mean, these are really bad boys now. I mean, I'm kind of aghast that, I I, I mean, (laughs) We've seen Will Smith shoot guys in the eye. We saw him on a train put a guy's head underneath the wheel. And now he's literally advocating, grab a gun and just start shooting somebody. It doesn't matter who you kill as long as we just go out in a blaze. I don't care who dies. Let's all just shoot it all out. I mean, it's stunning. I mean, I just feel like everything is fodder for his wheels of the Hummer. I mean, he just is crushing everything. He cares about nothing. (laughs) There is a lot of death, but... What we find out is that Johnny Tapia has the Cuban military as his personal bodyguard. So he is only killing bad guys and he's doing it all to save Sid, his partner's sister and Mm. his girlfriend. They're they're starting an international incident, but sure. 
<laughs> yeah, all for Sid, the love of Sid. Don't tell me. You told me some bullshit about how much he loved the dead hooker last time. <laughs> he cares about Sid even less. Yeah, I agree. They have no chemistry. And it probably is an international incident, but when those pencil pushers refuse to negotiate for Sid's life... Bad boys have to do what bad boys have to do, and bad boys have to drive a yellow Hummer through Cuba, racing to Gitmo. Can you do that? Like, if you were running towards Gitmo with, like, two guns in your hand, saying you're American, they'd just, like, be cool with that? Like, they wouldn't start shooting at you? Well, you just shoot them, Jacob. You just shoot everyone. You murder entire <laughs> villages, destroy all life. Because it doesn't matter because you're <laughs> justified in doing that. It's completely fine. They never shoot an American. And they do get shot at when they're crashing through the barbed wire gate of Gitmo. The military is properly shooting the engine out of their vehicle. Yeah. But actually what they're doing is protecting them because if they kept driving, apparently there's landmines around Gitmo. I don't know the historical accuracy of that. And if they'd kept driving, they would have all been killed. Well, last time Will Smith had to compliment Martin Lawrence about his driving. Now it's going to be a shooting. The kill shot is given to the pacifist. Well, that's a big thing because part of their strife, and we didn't mention this, is that what we've kept saying is Marcus thinks Mike is too brutal. But Mike is scared for his own safety. And he asked Marcus at one point, if a bad guy had me at gunpoint, would you shoot him? And Marcus is like, yeah, I'd shoot him in the leg. And Mike's like, well, I'm dead then. You will not save me. You will not do what needs to be done to protect my life the way I protected yours by shooting you through the ass into that guy's neck. So here at the end, Marcus is saying, I will do what I have to do to protect my partner. I will kill to save his life. Yeah, but is this how you resolve the fact that Mike is super violent by just having Marcus become super violent? Like, this is the psychology <laughs> here? Like, yeah. I don't get it. Like, this is so backwards. You guys are not adequately convincing me that this movie is actually a damnation of Mike's actions. <laughs> I think it's a lionization. You guys are like, this movie's so deep by showing the brutality. I'm like, guys, this is the adrenaline, yeah, fist pump moment, and you are all deconstructing it down to, I understand why Marcus is scared of his violent partner. No, we're supposed to be with Will Smith. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Up to this point, if this movie had ended with Will Smith's head spattering on the camera, lens, it would be a recommend because it would be that <laughs> condemnation. And because, you know, I just don't like Will Smith that much. But here, you're right. When we finally see that, of course, this silly man who believed in the power of healing himself through therapy and woosa and all of that, all he really needed to know is that he just needed to fire a gun better and he's a better man for it. Get a boner and kill someone. That's what's going to make you feel better, <laughs> apparently, according to Michael Bay. And, and that's my problem. Like, if you want some kind of dramatic arc, you have Marcus prove that he was right, that you can do something, obey the law, uphold it, and bring people to justice. Wait a second. Wait a second, Jacob. It is equally a dramatic arc 
to have Marcus be proved wrong. The arcs are exactly the same. It's not satisfying, no. It's just not one you like the political statement of. Correct, yeah, I agree. I think that's a terrible message to send to people, particularly when his argument was, a crackhead is chasing me and you'd only shoot him in the leg. Oh, we need to kill a crackhead in order to save you? You can't defend yourself from a crackhead. That this man believes the only way to protect himself is to kill those that he perceives as threat is exactly the wrong message for those times and for now. But taking political ideology out of it, it's an arc. You guys were complaining there's no arc. There's an arc. You just don't like how it ends up. That is a bad arc to me when you... I don't know. This film, I think it's showing what Mike's doing as a bad thing. If, if you, According to Marcus, if you're buying into his point of view, and he has been blabbing a lot about how awful Mike is with all his killing, and for the end to be like, oh, well, maybe you're right. Sure, let's just shoot people in the head. Not satisfying. Yeah, I mean, they're called bad boys. They go out singing the theme song again. I guess they're really testing how bad they are this time. And we're going to find out at the very end. I, I felt like this film would just end unresolved. Like we were on a cliffhanger for Bad Boys 3 and that Marcus was still transferring. But we're going to see a final scene. Marcus got a new pool, actually. I guess he couldn't afford it. Mike bought it for him and the two of them are lounging together. The bromance fully restored. Marcus tore up the papers and is kind of blessing the relationship between Mike and Sid, and Mike's like, eh, I think the bloom's off that rose anyway. <laughs> Did you see the cut scene where Will Smith pulls out the gun and shoots the dog? <laughs> that scene does not exist because that was Michael Bay's dog. <laughs> no, but, you know, he had, he got the warranty instead. But, I, again, I had to wonder. This Will Smith in this movie, he might have been like, oh, hell no! Bang! So, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when I ask Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Bad Boys 2? Jacob. I have to consider the politics of a film. And by politics of a film, I'm not talking about they're saying pro-Trump or pro-Patriot Act or something like that. There's always a subtle politics, a subtle message. And that is why I find Michael Bay fascinating because I love deconstructing his films because there is some crazy stuff going on underneath the surface with the way he decides to portray women or, or the American military. I know he's a big proponent of the American military. He's got them in tons of his films. But I find that the biggest problem here. He does beautiful shots. And yes, this movie is way too long. Is there some edit of this film that I could recommend? Maybe. Because again, chases are great. Explosions are great. But it is just making fun of the fat girls and girls with big tits or bimbos. That That, that is the big turnoff for me. And I can't get around that. For, for me, that is the real reason I wouldn't recommend Bad Boys 2. Even though there are beautiful shots there, I watch this and I'm hating it the whole time. I'm deconstructing, but I'm hating it because of just the attitude of the film. So it, this is not recommended. I like this one more than Bad Boys 1, though, because, well, it's got that Michael Bay style. That that first one, yeah, that is a $9 million action film. This one, he's got the money to do his thing, and it is slicker, and it's got those cuts that I am fascinated the way he's able to edit his films with all these quick cuts. So I liked it more than that first one, but it's still a not recommend. Stuart. At this point, can I recommend any Michael Bay movie? I mean, this, it's starting to look like no. This I feel like we're getting Michael Bay at his best here, and certainly at his most Michael Bay in some parts, meaning the action. 
when the movie is cooking, when we have the chase scenes on the freeway and what have you, I get the appeal. It is just unfortunate that we have these boys as the paragons of heroicism. I I just don't like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence to begin with. Don't think they're funny. And while it's interesting that they're exposed for the imposters they are, they really are horrible cops. And we, we see that in their behavior, ultimately, yeah, that it ends up being this fantasy of we can do whatever we want to anyone. It's kind of a nightmare. But I'll say this much. That kind of thing, that's subtext. That's what you look at when you're deconstructing a movie. But as people experience this movie, I think everyone will agree it's got good parts, but there's just too much of it. It's overlong, it's exhausting, and it just doesn't have enough here to keep goodwill. I think it's easily a better movie than the first film, but yeah, it's a clear red arrow. I agree. Coming back to it this time, I didn't dislike it as much as I disliked it last time. I think there's quite a bit good here, including the action. Some of the jokes, especially in that first half hour work for me, the puppet rats... I'm not as put off by the politics of this movie. I can take it as what it is, which is junk entertainment, not anything that's going to sway anybody's voting come poll time. And you said there's no good will here. You're right. It's bad will here. Will Smith is letting me down because he is not bringing the charisma and the fun. And Martin Lawrence isn't either. His best days as a comedian, I think, were behind him at that point. I mean, you look forward. I've seen Big Mama's House 2. Now, I didn't see Like Father, Like Son, <laughs> but I did see Big Mama's House 2. Retrospective. Should we do it next? There's three of them. <laughs> and I saw Wild Hogs, and he's just never as good as he was in Big Mama's House 1 and Blue Streak and Bad Boys and Martin. So we've got a couple of guys who just aren't at their peak bringing their A-game in a plot that's every bit as stupid as last time, but it's not as enjoyable to watch. But surprisingly, there's still some fun in this movie. And so when I came down at the end, it's a weak not recommend. It is a not recommend. If it were half an hour shorter, this could be a weak recommend. It is an exhausting marathon. It's butt-numbing and brain-numbing. It's so much explosion that when we get to blowing up a house it feels small because we've seen so much blow up before the house and the getmo ending is just downright strange and unfulfilling that they kill him with a landmine it's a strong recommend for shake your tail feather but it's a weak not recommend for bad boys too yeah, shake your tail feather is a euphemism for showing your ass. And they certainly did that. But I still thought we'd see more of it. I really, why don't we have a Bad Boys 3, Arnie? Did this one f bomb in the box office? No, it made $280 million global on a 130 budget. Which probably is closer to breaking even. It wasn't the profit margin the first one was. But clearly, there's no reason not to make another one, assuming that they can get the leads back. I don't think the kind of property you would reboot with younger actors. It was something where they all went off and started doing other things. Michael Bay became very fixated on the Transformers franchise. That took all of his time. And eventually it got to the point where they're like, we don't need to wait for Bay. What we need back is Smith and Lawrence. Lawrence is still working, but he doesn't appear to be that busy. But he also has a lot of money and doesn't need to work so much. I think he's kind of in that same zone as Chris Tucker, where... 
They can work when they want to work. Will Smith is still an A-list star commanding top dollar, even if perhaps his track record wouldn't recommend that anymore. He took a few years out too, though. But starting in 08, Bay was looking at doing Bad Boys 3. It took many, many years and a couple of screenwriters. They just kept trying to get a script done. They started a script in 09. They don't need a script. It's all improv. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be perfect, Jacob. We got to really hammer it all out. Come on. They got to believe in that script. Mm-hmm. Finally, Joe Carnahan, who was the director of A-Team and The Grey and NARC, he signed on to direct it and... They apparently in Stewart's neighborhood filmed something. Yeah, I I saw the vans. There was signs up. I I don't know what they were filming. Maybe establishing shots for a movie that uh, had not been established with its actors. But it was put in turnabout. Yeah, it was supposed to start filming in March 2017. Yep. And on March 7th, 2017, Carnahan said, I'm leaving due to scheduling conflicts. Oh, wow. I wonder if he literally just didn't show up to the set then. That's, <laughs> that's interesting. The crew was there. They were waiting. But the director did not come. Lately, the dates were they wanted to do parts three and four back to back because they always want to do that. If you can get Smith and Lawrence signed and get them to show up, you might as well make two. And what was going to happen initially was Bad Boys for Life, the third one, was going to open two weeks ago. You know, it was going to open the same weekend as Wonder Woman. Its last known release date was going to be January 12th, 2018. Not a date with a lot of confidence. <laughs> Ooh, January release. Mm-hmm. And now I'm hearing November 2018 due to Carnahan leaving and Will Smith possibly doing Aladdin. And then they're still looking at July 2019. <laughs> For Bad Boys 4. They got to do three first. <laughs> no, go ahead and just go through four. I agree. Just, like, make it the kids. Gabrielle Union's back and some adopted kids. They're really bad. But then because Spider-Man Homecoming said they're doing July 4th, 2019. As of a few months ago, Bad Boys 4 Memorial Day 2019. Jeez. <laughs> And if Now Playing is still in the game, we will be there to cover it, I suppose. Any ideas what drugs they're going to go after this time? It just seems like a drug, but we did heroin, we did ecstasy. Pot's legal just about everywhere now. Mm. They still haven't done cocaine, and that seems like a big Miami drug. I mean, I'm thinking Miami Vice, but you could do that. Hell, ecstasy still could work again. They just call it Molly now, and it feels like a totally different thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's the least of their problems, honestly. But we will be discussing more Bay next week. Jacob, you get a reprieve. Jerry returns. Thank goodness. For Transformers 5. Good luck with that. The last night, the last Michael Bay Transformers. Yeah, then he'll schedule to be all freed up for Bad Boys 3 and 4. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll do that island follow-up everyone wants. And Stuart said, if we're around in 18 and 19, we'll be doing Bad Boys for Life. Well, we can be now playing for life with your support. Next week, we have our next patron review out. Jerry is also joining us for another monster truck movie. We're not just doing Transformers, but monster trucks. Mm, the the bomb of the year. I, it's got a lot of competition. There have been a lot of expensive flops in 2017, but this one seems to take the cake. 
The head of production at Paramount let his four-year-old greenlight a movie in which, <laughs> yes, a sea monster, I guess it's a sea monster, it swims in oil. Oil monster. Yeah, an aquatic <laughs> creature decides to get under the hood of a big old car and fake MacGyver is there to... <laughs> <laughs> That's Havoc! That's Cyclops' brother. Sure, yeah. It's something to talk about, and if you're a patron, you're going to hear all our thoughts on that. Yes, you can get that. You'll also hear our reviews of Hook, Coherence, and The Warriors. These are shows available to those who donate monthly $10 a month or more. That's four bonus shows. We've got more coming up, too, just for patrons. And also, our donation drive is still underway with Alien, Planet of the Apes. War for Planet of the Apes is coming out in just a couple weeks. That review will be going out to our donors and also available through our Podbean page individually. You can find all the details about our patron campaign, our opened vault, our donation drive at nowplayingpodcast.com. Click that banner at the top. And Stuart Jacob, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you for joining us both. Because we ride together, we review together, now playing for life. I have to tell you, I love you, man. Yeah, you know you always be getting emotional after gunfights. It's because I'm glad we survived. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I love you too, man. Don't be looking at me. I said, yeah, I love you. I said that shit. <laughs> you my boy, man. Nah, nah, you like my brother, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Bad Boys Retrospective Series. Whoa, that was good. Hey, you one of those guys, huh? In and out. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Oh, that one puckered up my butthole. For more movie review podcasts, visit the nowplayingpodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews, including Die Hard, John Wick, the Jason Bourne series, Kingsman, Machete, the Marvel Comics movies, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. Oh, these dudes is off the chain! I'm calling in a favor. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. You just remember one thing, my friend. I may not always be here. For our podcast's 10th anniversary, we have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, the Quentin Tarantino films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. Ah, this is what I need. I need a SWAT team, helicopters. We're calling all cars here, baby. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews, including Hook, The Warriors, and Coherence. A link to our patron page is at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Maybe there ain't going to be no long run. We want to specially thank our Podbean donors of $50 or more, Joseph Black, Jacob Parkins, and Anders Marek. I'm telling you, spending time like this make a partnership strong. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. 
I think you mean to say get our asses down there, please, Captain. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the now playing hosts at our forums where you and other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The link to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. Yeah, that sounds like that group thing talking. Okay, maybe I did the group thing once or twice. You can also follow Now Playing on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Hey, man, work your magic. You say you're a computer whiz. You can also help Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. My shit always works sometimes. Now Playing's Bad Boys series is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Whoa! Whoa! I am way too unstable for that bullshit! Stop all the goddamn movement! Everybody stop moving! Now Playing's Bad Boys series is edited by Heath and Arnie. Just do what you do, only faster. Now Playing's Bad Boys series credit narration by Brock. He doesn't talk that way. Talk like him, like him. Try to talk sexy. Come on. He doesn't sound sexy enough. The Bad Boys films, all audio clips, and music used are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created or produced the well-known Bad Boys films. Now Playing is an independent movie review podcast with no affiliation with any company involved in the publishing, creating, or distribution of that film series. I'm not trying to lose my job on this one. The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You got the right to remain silent. Anything you say can will be used against you in the court of law. Yo, man, what the fuck are you doing? Getting it out the way. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. This is what we do. Now that's how you're supposed to drive. From that one, that's how you drive. I'm surprised they needed multiple writers for this, because haven't we seen this? Isn't this Lethal Weapon 3 or 4, the one with Chris Rock when he's dating Danny Glover's daughter and everyone knows? And That would be four, and you need four writers to try to make that good. It didn't work the first time. Well, that's my point. It's not working this time either. I'm going to argue. Oh, God, now you've got me thinking, your baby's having my baby. Oh, baby, <laughs> with the nitrous oxide. Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, Lethal Weapon 4 is better than Bad Boys, but I'll just leave it there. Fuck you! (laughs) No! I've seen them both, and I'm here to tell you I would rather watch Lethal Weapon 4 again. Yeah, probably. You need to rewatch that and really think about that, that, sir. No controversy on that, but I'm also... Find evidence and have some slapstick. How much do you think they... Go ahead. Go ahead. I agree. They have no chemistry. And yeah, it's yeah, I agree. They have no chemistry. Yeah, I agree. They have no chemistry. Thank you for not whistling on that this time, teeth. And